Welcome back to the show, everyone. It's Dina Calmetti here with Susan Davis of Jesus 24-7. And for today's show, we're going to continue. Evidence in the Old Testament confirms the pre-tribulation rapture, part two. And um, Susan, welcome back to the show. Well, hello, everybody. And thank you so much, Dina, for working with me on these series that we're doing. And we invite uh, the listeners to go back to all of the videos we've done and glean from them, you know, a lot of information that we've tried to put out there for everybody. But as you said, today we are going to take a look at the pre-tribulation and rapture in the Bible. And uh, there's a lot of evidence of it. And so we're going to kind of take this apart and, you know, try to make sense of it. And Dina's going to do what she does really well is put up those scriptures for us, which is awesome. (laughs) We appreciate that. And we're going to lead out in prayer because we love it when the Holy Spirit shows up. Amen. Amen. Okay, Father God, we just come to you. We thank you for this opportunity and this platform that you've given us to allow for us to share our uh, thoughts and views and our testimonies about the things that you have shown us and, uh, you know, so that we can um, help further the kingdom of God to greater understanding. We love you, Lord, and we ask that you open the hearts and the eyes of the people listening and the ears so that they would uh, come to know you in a better way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Dear Father God, thank you for um, the listeners. Thank you for Susan. Thank you, Father, for your word. And so, Holy Spirit, um, please reveal today what you want to say to the to the world reveal today what is in your word through susan and i and um, open ears open eyes open hearts so that people can hear what you're saying today we thank you we praise you we glorify you in jesus most precious name amen okay so we're going to start with a discussion of the rapture of the church found in 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 9. And so we see that in this verse um, 2, 1, Jesus is coming together the church. And then the Antichrist, who was the son of perdition, is revealed. Now, this is not the second coming of Christ, because in verse 8 of this passage, Jesus comes and destroys the Antichrist with the brightness of his coming and consumes him with the spirit of his mouth. So the first time we see Jesus in this passage, the Antichrist moves into action and is not destroyed. And so it is the second coming in this passage that that happens. So that can only mean one thing. The first coming of Christ in verse 2-1 has to be the rapture of the church and it has to be pre-tribulation because this event predates the revealing of the antichrist and so there can be no other explanation and so to say there is no first coming of christ or that the rapture takes place mid or post-trib would be rewriting scripture so let's go ahead and take a look at this closer i've just given you a little overview And so we're going to take a look at this uh, with the scripture. So in this amazing passage of 2 Thessalonians, we see the playbook of the rapture, restrainer removed, antichrist revealed, and then Christ comes again in the second coming to destroy the enemy. So now we're right at the beginning of 2 Thessalonians at 2.1, and The scripture says, now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is a meeting in the air. Amen. Yes, amen. (laughs) Thank you. And by our gathering together unto him. So this is talking about the coming of Christ to gather his bride. It is a coming that precedes the tribulation and the revealing of the Antichrist to come on the scene. Verse 2. It says that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us that the day of Christ is at hand. 
Let no man deceive you by any means, for that the day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. So right there, we know that that scripture is making reference to the Antichrist, because we know in the Bible the Antichrist is referred to as the son of perdition and the, the man of lawlessness. And let me just say this. There has to be an event in which previously the Antichrist is just merely the man of lawlessness and the son of perdition. And there has to be a moment in time where he steps in and is suddenly revealed as the Antichrist. And so what that is, is uh, we're going to, well, we're going to just get into that. So in verse four, it goes on to say, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worship so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So this is the Antichrist after rapture. So it shows that he is going to be, you know, an Antichrist at this point. Verse 5, we go on to say, Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. And now ye know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. Okay, so someone is withholding the Antichrist from being in the world pre-trib. And scripture, verse 7, says, For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let, until he be taken out of the way. So the only one who can hold back the Antichrist and subsequent evil is God himself. Amen. Right? Amen. I mean, wow, you've got to think about this. Amen. Uh, we're talking about a lot of evil. <laughs> we're talking about worldwide evil. But in the case, in this case, Dina, it is God who is within the bride, the church, through a full oil lamp. And it is the five oil lamp bridesmaids, which we know about in Matthew 25. For anybody who wants to study that, they can go right to Matthew 25 and read up on those uh, bridesmaids. There were ten, and five were short of oil, and the other five had full oil lamp. And when the bridegroom came... The door opened, and only five entered in, okay? And so the other five, they went off to get themselves some more oil because they were unprepared. The foolish bridesmaids. They were. They were the foolish virgins. That's another word for them. Mm -hmm. And they go off, and they come back with uh, their oil replenished, but the door has been shut, and they cannot get in. Because the bridegroom is the one who opens the door and shuts the door. And nobody else can open that door or shut it except the bridegroom. And so he shuts it on these foolish virgins. And But there are five that make it in. Okay? And that's in Matthew 25, that reference. So uh, it is the five oil lamp bridesmaids who are taken out of the way for the introduction of the Antichrist into the tribulation post-rapture world. Okay, so how does that work exactly? Well, those bridesmaids have the fullness of the Holy Spirit. So when he who lets in the scripture is taken out of the way to allow the Antichrist to go from son of perdition to Antichrist, then the church has to be removed also because they possess the Holy Spirit in his fullness and there's no other group on the planet that has that unique uh title or that unique uh quality okay and uh they have that qualification uh the only ones left on the earth will be the five oil lamp virgins which represents the lukewarm church they have a partial filling because they are calling themselves Christian, but they do not have the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And it would also include the secular, non-Christians, and all of the rest of the world at that point would be the ones left. And so the question arises by many people at this point, is the Holy Spirit gone from the earth after this? Good question. A lot of people do ask that. And here's the answer. No, <laughs> because he is omnipresent, 
and we know this from scripture in the Bible that says, where can I go from your presence? You know, if I go to the top of the mountain or I go down to hell, you're there. And so can we remove the Holy Spirit from the scene? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. He's omnipresent the same way he's omniscient. And uh, he is, there's no way you can take the Holy Spirit out of the, you know, out of the picture. But here's the thing, Dina. Mm -hmm. The big difference here is the Holy Spirit no longer has those five, five oil lamp virgins to operate in. Because he's put them away to safety. He's pulled them out. Amen. And that's a situation that the world has never experienced before. In fact, that takes me to another side teaching. I'm going to do it real quick. Okay, back when Abraham and Lot, remember those guys? Old Testament guys. Yeah. And they were pleading with God to save Sodom and Gomorrah and two other cities. So there were four total cities. And God said, all right, if you can produce 30 righteous, I won't destroy it. Well, they come back and they can't get up 30 together. And he goes, okay, try 20. <laughs> okay, they go back again, cannot get 20. So then God puts his last offer out on the table. Okay. <laughs> and he says, if you could produce 10 righteous, then yeah, I will not destroy this area. So sad. But the case was they came back and they could not come up with 10 people, not 10. Okay. Now, this is an interesting thing. Uh, a lot of people don't know, but archaeologists surmise that there would have been 30 to 40,000 people in Sodom, Gomorrah, and two other cities that would have possibly been destroyed at the time that God destroyed them for their evil. Okay. That's crazy to me. So 30 or 40,000 people, out of all those people, he couldn't find 10 that were righteous. Exactly. And so, you know, even if uh, they were large city metro areas, they were large cities, even if these archaeologists are incorrect, they were still metro city areas. And so the point being here is that 10 righteous people would have kept that much area in check with god okay do you follow what mm -hmm. i'm saying there dina yes yes okay so let's move forward to today and god is operating in the full oil lamp virgins the ones that go through the door with the bridegroom and it's that group right now who are keeping seven billion people on the planet in check that's crazy. Crazy, maybe, but... I mean, a good crazy. A good crazy. Okay, but that's the point. The point is God is not opening up on releasing the Antichrist or bringing forth major tribulation until he puts those five oil lamp virgins through the door and shuts the door. And so what we're experiencing right now is the birth pains that are leading up to the big event, which is the removal of the church to safety and then the subsequent um, release of the Antichrist onto the world scene, the world scene. And so if anybody wants a little bit more background on all of this, I invite you to go back to our first video and review that, which I think has some really pertinent scripture. But I want to return to where we were right here uh, in Second Thessalonians and continue on. So the answer that I gave before is, um, is the Holy Spirit gone from the earth after this? No, because he's omnipresent. The difference is he does no longer have the five full oil lamp virgins that he works through in the earth anymore. They've gone through the door and the door was shut by the bridegroom. So let's go on to verse 8. Then shall that wicked be revealed. Okay, the scripture right here says wicked. That is in reference to the Antichrist right there. And it says he will be revealed. So whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. And watch this. This has to be the second coming of Christ separate from the gathering together in verse 1. 
because this coming destroys the Antichrist with the brightness of the Lord's coming. And the Antichrist, we know, is not destroyed after verse 1. He is revealed and brings tribulation to the world. So in verse 9, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. And so, and here we see it again. Christ comes this time to destroy the enemy, but not before he exerts his evil works, signs, and lying wonders and tribulation following the removal of the five oil lamp bridesmaids, verse 1. Okay, so this is a really big deal, this passage here that we see in Thessalonians. It is, as I said before, the complete playbook, rapture, restrainer removed, Antichrist revealed, and then Christ comes again, second coming, when he touches down on the Mount of Olives, and he destroys the enemy with, you know, with the breath, you know, with a breath, he basically does it, and uh, with a word, he uh, he stops everything, all the evil, and so uh, this clearly shows that there's two different distinct things going on. There's a gathering and then a revelation of the Antichrist. And then we see later on there is uh, Christ stopping the Antichrist. So once the first part, the Antichrist is, is on the loose, and the next, the Antichrist is being stopped. So these are two separate ends and two separate times. Uh, and we don't call the rapture uh, the second coming, and we don't call the second coming the third coming. Okay, <laughs> I just want to clarify this. Okay, the first coming of Christ was when Jesus came to Earth as a baby, and and walked the Earth for thirty three years, and then was uh, crucified and resurrected. Okay, so the second coming is not the rapture. The rapture is a uh, gathering of Christ gathering the church in the air. So he never touches down. He gathers these people up in the air, and it's in the scripture, right in the scripture. And so the actual second coming, when he actually literally steps foot on the earth again, is right at the very end of the seven-year tribulation, at the end of Revelation. Let's go on, and uh, let's take a look at the next thing. We're going to look at some other scriptures. And so we remember the verse in Matthew 24, 40, uh, two men will be in the field, one will be taken the other left, and then uh, Matthew twenty four forty one says two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken, the other left. Uh, Luke seventeen thirty four goes on to say, "I tell you, on that night, two people will be in one bed. One will be taken, and the other left." And then Luke seventeen thirty five repeats itself again, saying two women will be grinding grain together, and one will be taken and, and the other left. And so I think it's interesting there will be people sleeping at this time because, you know, half of the world is asleep, right? So, they are. Okay. So let's take a look at this. Um, sometimes, Dina, in order for people to really comprehend and study Scripture— you have to almost go back to original translations. Would you not agree? Amen. Absolutely. Because believe it or not, um, we're finding out that a lot of meaning has been translated out of the newer translations. Uh, even from King James on, we're seeing a lot of change in the newer translations, which I really just can't stand that. But that's me. Okay, I don't like it. Um, but, you know, if you go back to some of the original word meanings, there's a whole lot more meaning there. And this is not having to do with Bible changing. This has to do with word changing over time. Mm -hmm. And this is one of those case in points. And I'd like to talk about this a little bit because you have to go back to the original language Jesus spoke when he said these words. Uh, that I was talking about there in Matthew and Luke, because the meaning has changed in the translation from over the years. So the word taken, okay, where we say that, you know, there will be one taken and the other left, the word taken originally in Greek was a word uh, known as paralambano. Okay, the word paralambano, now watch this, 
originally in Greek means to receive near, associate with oneself uh, in any familiar or intimate act or relation or seize and put away with affection to receive. Okay, so we're going to go to the next word, which is left, the other left in the scripture. So the word left is translated from the Greek word afiimi. And I may not even be pronouncing that correct because I'm not, you know, up on Greek. But um, it means original word meaning, afiimi, means to forsake, to lay aside, to leave, let alone, let be, let go, omit, put away, send away. Okay, so the word paralambano is used in another reference to the return of Christ. And in that scripture, it actually says, Jesus tells his disciples that when he comes back from heaven, he will receive them unto himself. And so we're going to look real quick at John 14, 1 through 3. And uh, it says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take, or paralambano, you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. And so if if we could hear Jesus speaking Greek, or in the Greek terms, this is what this would actually say. I will come back and put you away with affection, and leaving, you know, uh, the evil behind and he and basically saying you will be where i am so if we take these translations and use the more uh you know original wording this is how these sentences would sound so i'd like to do this okay so i'm going to matthew 24 40 and i'm literally going to change it up but listen to what i'm saying two men will be in the field one will be seized and put away with affection and the other will be discarded, thrown out. Okay, so we'll take a look at the next one, Matthew 24, 41. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be seized and put away with affection, and the other discarded, thrown away. Okay, and so we go to Luke 17, 34. I tell you on that night, two people will be in one bed. One will be seized, put away with affection, and the other thrown out, discarded. And then finally, Luke 17, 35 reads, two women will be grinding together. One will be put away in a familiar, intimate way. And the other completely omitted, put away, laid aside, left alone, forsaken. So there you go. (laughs) That completely clears it up. I mean, that to me is like, wow, uh, what event do you know of uh, in which... A group of people will be grabbed and put away with affection while the others are left, not just left, but, you know, just, you know, it goes back to the scripture of the lukewarm being spewed out of Jesus's mouth. He literally spews them out of his mouth at this point. So this is a much more descriptive understanding of that particular passage. But we have to understand, right, that these words have been translated and their meaning translated out over the centuries, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think that gives uh, a lot of new meaning to the understanding of what's going on here. Amen. So we're just getting warmed up. Are you ready to go? (laughs) (laughs) We're just getting our feet wet here. Now we're ready to get into the big big time stuff. Um, let's roll up our sleeves. That, that was, was only the appetizer. That was the appetizer. So now we're going to get into the main meal. Okay. And maybe the dessert. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> what I'm saying here is revelation is a difficult book for many people. And so they read it wrong or they won't read it at all at their churches and that means a whole lot of christians out there don't want any part in it and a lot of times they'll get wrong understanding of it and that sort of thing and so it makes it kind of bad because the book of revelation was literally written for this generation would you not agree absolutely and it's an amazing book and in fact 
It's the only book in the Bible where God says those that read it will be blessed. And it's adventurous and it's exciting and it's um, piercing to the heart and soul and mind of the person that's reading it. It's an amazing, amazing book. Right. And so let's at first take an overview of this because we're going to get into talk about the rapture within the book of Revelation. And so to understand this, uh, I want to do like a little overview, a mini overview of Revelation from Revelation 1 through 7. Okay. That's the area we're going to cover today. Not that we're going to discuss the entire book, but we're going through 1 through 7 for what talking about today, which coordinates with what we talked about already. So uh, just real quick, uh, Revelation chapter 1 is really an introduction to the book of Revelation. So if you read that, that's what you're going to find. If you go into Revelation uh, chapter 2 and 3, you're going to find uh, talk about the seven churches. And they are seven churches uh, through history that Jesus uh, addresses uh, for their various problems and and for the positives, too. And so he addresses seven churches, uh, seven letters to seven churches. And that's really great stuff. But at the end of that, we see the end of the church age, pretty much. And so then, uh, so that's chapters two and three. Chapter four, uh, we see uh, a rapture event. And we see the introduction of the elders. And then chapter 5, we see talk about the seals, uh, which we're going to get into Revelation. There are these seven seals. And the question arises, who is able to open those seals? And so that would be five, chapter 5, chapter 6. And if I was going to do an overview, I would say chapter 6 through 18 is literally tribulation all about tribulation and everything up to six is leading up to that point so chapter six is the beginning of tribulation and for a lot of our uh, listeners um a lot of you have heard of the four horses of the apocalypse and um so these are different seals opening four horses and the fifth seal it talks about the martyred and then chapter seven interestingly enough is a break from the 21 judgments okay so god is going to give out 21 judgments to the earth and um basically what that is is seven seals are opened and then uh, seven trumpets, and then seven bowls, or also called vials. So some, that's what the confusion, there's a lot of confusion for people, because uh, people mix up the wording. But bowls and vials are the same thing. So if you take seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven bowls, or, se- or vials, then you have 21 altogether judgments, and that's how you break it down. Okay, so uh, chapter seven, however, of Revelation takes a break from the beginning of those uh, seals that are opened, the 21 judgments. So in chapter seven, you actually literally, uh, God takes a a mini break, a snack break, okay? (laughs) Okay, you know, I'm just... (laughs) (laughs) He's like, okay, get the Doritos out. We're going to take a little snack break. (laughs) And we're going to talk, we're going to leave that other stuff, and we're going to talk about, and then he talks about two things in um, chapter 7. And the two things are the 144,000 Jews who are sealed by God to go out and minister to others the gospel. And then the other half of chapter 7 is about the uh, tribulation saints, okay? And uh, so we're going to get into this in this discussion. So, okay, break over. Uh, it's time to put those Dorito bags back. <laughs> time to get ready to roll up our sleeves. And so I gave you an overview. And so we're going to skip the first three sections of Revelation, the first three chapters, which is chapter one is, as I said, intro to Revelation. And two and three are about the seven churches that Jesus talks to. So we're going right into four. 
which I think is the break of, okay, the break between the churches and the beginning of what's next. And so that, I believe, is the end of the church age. It's a break, definitely a break, because everything God does is in order, okay? Amen. And so let's take a look at Revelation 4, and it says, After this I looked, and I'm in chapter 4, verse 1, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice, which I heard, was, as it were, of a trumpet, talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee these things which must be hereafter. And so this would be the rapture. And at that point, this is when the church is excused. And like I said, go back to the other video we just did. And we're going to continue uh, to talk about this group. So verse 2, it says, And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. So who's talking? It's John. John the Revelator, one of the original disciple. He was on the island of Patmos at the time, and he has this fantastic revelation that God gives him. And he's an observer, okay? And he's observing this. And so verse 3, and he sat, and he that sat was to look upon like jasper and sardine stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. So John observes these raptured saints at the throne of God. Okay, verse 4, and round about the throne were four and twenty, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. So this is really important. How do we know this is the raptured saints? Because the elders are at the throne. And the question is, who are those twenty-four? Well, there is no way to know for sure, but there's a lot of speculation, Dina. And mm -hmm. the speculation usually is that they are possibly, possibly the 12 apostles of Jesus and the sons of the 12 tribes of Israel. That would make 24. Okay. That actually so, makes sense. Yeah, it does really make sense. It really does. And so it's, it's speculation, but I'm just saying, okay. <laughs> all right so let's go back to uh the fact that these guys are um elders and they're there on the scene john sees them so how do we know this is a rapture thing well we can look no further than first thessalonians 4 15 and 17 and it says by the word of the Lord, we declare to you that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will be will by no means precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will be the first to rise. And then after that, we who are alive... And remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Okay, so we know that the dead in Christ rise first. And then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds. Okay? Exciting. Yeah. I like that part. <laughs> so the judgment seat must take place before the saints receive their crowns. But the dead in Christ rise first in order for the elders to be at the throne with crowns that they would have received their rewards. And how do we know that? Because let's take a look at the scripture, Luke 14, 14. And follow along with me as I read. But when you host a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed. If they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those reclining with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is everyone who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. And then we're going to take a look at the verse in 1 Peter 5, 4. I mean, when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. What we're seeing here is an explanation of why John sees elders and that they would have gotten these crowns because they have already been uh, involved in the resurrection of the righteous, which is the rapture of the righteous. Do you see that? Amen. Yes. Okay. 
So we're going to move on. Uh, we need to get back to chapter four of Revelation. So at this juncture, at uh, verse five, we, we see the elders and dead in Christ with raptured saints are at the throne. And so at verse five, it says, and out of the throne proceeded the thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne was a sea of glass, like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne, round about the throne, were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion, and the second beast like a calf. And the third beast had a face of the man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within. And they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who liveth forever and ever. Okay, so what we're seeing right here at this point is a lot of worshiping, okay? Amen. These saints are worshiping all together. The ones who have been resurrected, uh, those who uh, rise, who were dead in Christ first, and then those that uh, come out alive, as the scripture details, okay? So this is pretty exciting. Okay, so the elders who are the dead in Christ, who rise with the raptured saints, are now casting those crowns they received at the resurrection, rapture of the righteous, okay? So we're going to take a look at verse 10. The four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns for the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory, honor, power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Now, this right here is awesome because they had to be rewarded at the resurrection of the righteous, that previous scripture said, in order to have those crowns to throw at Jesus's feet. Do you see that, Dina? Yes, I do. Very clear. Now, here's the here's the cool thing. People wonder about these crowns. I mean, in the Bible, there are various crowns that people receive for various things. One of them is for the longing of the appearance of Jesus. Did you know that in Timothy? Amen. I did. I did. But I wonder how many people listening did not know that. I don't know. But why would anybody want a crown? or two okay <laughs> because when they get to this point they want you want to be able to have your crowns to throw at jesus's feet you don't want to show up empty-handed it's like going to a birthday party and you show up without a gift that's right looking around hoping nobody sees it there <laughs> you go there you go but anyway so that's that's kind of exciting uh but so the next scene the restrainer with the raptured saints has been removed so he who lets must be out of the way because in chapter five, we are about to see who is going to open the seals and begin those 21 judgments that I talked about. And that included the seven seals, the seven trumpets, the seven vials or bowls of, of God. Okay. And so let's start with verse one. We're in chapter five now of Revelation. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within on the back side sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof. And no man in heaven nor earth, neither under earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and read the book, neither to look thereon. And so why is John weeping? Because nobody can stop this Antichrist and this evil in the earth. And uh, without, uh, you know, somebody to come and open these seals, it would be a very horrible sight for John. So let's go on to this next section, which is uh, now we're going to find out who can open those seals. Okay, verse 5. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And behold, I and lo, in the midst of the throne and the four beasts in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, 
having seven horns, seven eyes, are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy, by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue, people, and nation, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on earth. And so I sort of, when I see this, when Jesus goes over and gets this and is able to do this, it reminds me of the time in the New Testament where he's in the synagogue, right? And he gets the book and he sits down and he goes, you're seeing this uh, prophecy come Amen. to pass right for your eyes. <laughs> I love Jesus. I, you just, oh man, I can't get enough of it, right? <laughs> Amen. Yes, indeed. And so... At the next scripture, uh, 11 and 12, we see the Lamb exalted. And I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000, and thousands and thousands. That's a lot, okay? And saying with a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power, riches, wisdom, strength, and honor, glory, and blessing. Wow. No Amen. kidding. Amen. So that is so awesome. Now, that's chapter 5. Okay, chapter five is seeing the seals being opened by Jesus Christ. Okay, those seals could not be opened until something was taken out of the way. And that was, like I said, you know, it was the Holy Spirit within those five oil lamp virgins who walked through the door and the door was shut and leaving the other five still to remain. So now we're at chapter six. Uh, and we begin the tribulation. Chapter 6 through 18 is all about tribulation. And um, so chapter 6 introduces our four writers of the apocalypse. And uh, seal 5 is about martyred saints. Okay, so we, we are going on. And then chapter 7 is a break. From the 21 judgments of tribulation and god discusses who the 144,000 are in verses 1 through 9 then he discusses martyred saints who come out of tribulation starting with verse 9 of chapter 7 remember the dorito break that's what we <laughs> <laughs> okay so i'm going to jump now to and i'm going to skip those uh horses but i'll give you a quickie review because uh, that's not what we're here to talk about but i'll give you a quick review because I don't want to leave them out. Chapter 6, the first writer is the white horse, which is the Antichrist. And he comes on the scene. So he is the first seal. Why white? Because he's an Antichrist. He's a pretend Christ. He, he wants to be as God. Remember, Satan always wants to be as God. So that's why he's got... And he comes as an angel of light. Right, Dina? That's so, right. And he comes with a bow, but no arrow. Exactly, exactly. And um, he comes in, you know, uh, through flatteries, uh, basically in Daniel, it says. And so he comes in peace and flatteries. And that means, you know, he doesn't really have to fight his way to get in and take charge. He just comes, walks right in and easily takes over. He's going to be very charismatic. Very. And I think we see that once... The restrainers taken out of the way, um, all bets are off. Things are really going to be shaken in the world, and they're going to want very much a leader to step forward and bring things back into order, okay? Mm -hmm. And that's why they will allow him to just walk in and take over. It'll be a natural progression. So then the next one, uh, the next horse is the black rider. I'm sorry, excuse me, the red rider. And that uh, red represents blood because it's about war. And Dina, you're an expert on this. There is uh, <laughs> going to be war. Yes, and there's going to be global war. It will exactly. be a global war. And there are several different wars that, and I shouldn't say several, but there's a couple of them that has to do with Israel in particular. 
um, and also Syria. Um, there's the Psalm 83 war, the Ezekiel 38-39 war, which is the Gog-Magog war. And then you have in Isaiah 17-1 where uh, Damascus is basically destroyed from being a city. It'll be uninhabitable. So, uh-huh. And then there's going to be the global wars. And we see those those types of conflicts um it's not hard to believe because we see the tension with china and taiwan and the united states and we also see tension with north korea we see tension with russia and nato and so on and so forth if you guys watch my videos you know exactly what i'm talking about but go on susan (laughs) and i do the end time news report and so my observations have been that uh you take someone like putin and and you take the ruler of china which who can pronounce his name g okay g she (laughs) (laughs) sorry (laughs) but you know the thing is um they're both power grabbers and I can imagine that one's worrying about the other what is going to do what. And so that'll make for some very interesting dynamics, right, Dina? That's right. That's right. And, um, but they're kind of right now, they're kind of friendly with each other in a way. They're almost like teaming up in spite of the United States. Yeah, it reminds me a lot of um, High Pilot and Herod lining up together to go against Jesus. Yeah, yeah, there you go. And then you also have, um, you know, another one in the mix is Turkey. Mm -hmm. Yep, And Iran and... North Korea. North Mm -hmm. Korea. I mean, we just have... Yeah, so many different, and they're so prominent right now. And also, the something else to think about, and I brought this up in a prior video, um, Mm -hmm. we have... You know, for these biblical wars, we have all of these players exactly where Jesus said that they would be. Before, exactly. You know, for these these wars to take place, they're they're all there. I mean, it can literally right. happen at any moment. Right, and from a military standpoint, this is kind of interesting. If you go to the Air Force Museum in Dayton. They have an amazing display of military planes from all wars, and they've got them in order of war. Like they've got them in World War One and Two, and Korean, Vietnam, and they're all set up in these war by war, and they're fascinating. And then as you move into the future, right, there's a huge placard that you walk under. And it's a five-star general. I don't know his name, but he literally says this, the next war will be nuclear. I remember that quote. And so right there, it's like, this is this is the top military of the United States um, knowing that the next war will not be uh, on the ground. It'll be in the air. Anyway, what happens with these four riders? We've got the Red Rider War and... We've got them, we've got Black Rider, which is famine, food shortages, that sort of thing. And then... We see the, that now. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then the Pale Rider, the Pale Horse is um, death, okay? Because, you know, Pale represents death. And so that's the order they go in. Antichrist, war, famine, death comes to the earth. And then the fifth seal is about the martyrs who are up in heaven pleading uh, revenge for those who martyred them, which is a different look than when Stephen was the first martyr and he he was pleading for repentance or uh, mercy. Yes. You know, we're out of the church age in this section, so it changes the look, okay? But um, so... I've had people say, you know, they think seals can be out of order from the Bible happen. Well, no, that won't work. If you see this, it's a domino effect. And I tried to explain this to somebody recently. You know, uh, if you did anything out of the order that God puts it in, it's not going to work. So you wouldn't have death, famine, war, and then Antichrist introduced. 
in that that wouldn't work that order wouldn't work so the seals will happen in order just as they are laid out in the bible and as we can see clearly, uh, those elders were getting crowns and throwing them at Jesus's feet before he comes forward and opens the seals and releases the Antichrist. Okay? Mm-hmm. So it's clear order that those seals cannot be removed or opened. Those seals cannot come into action, into play, before those elders are rewarded with those crowns at that resurrection of the righteous you see that Mm -hmm. okay so we're going to jump ahead and uh we're going to skip over the 144,000 which are 12,000 of the 12 tribes of Israel each and those are the the uh, Jews that will be sealed by God to go out and profess the gospel and so then the second half of chapter seven, our Dorito break that we took, the snack <laughs> snack break, is about those martyred saints from the tribulation. So I want to read, uh, I want you to read along with me. We're all the way into verse nine, because we're skipping the 144,000, because we don't have time to go over all this today. But this is very important. I want to read this part. Revelation 7, 9. And this is John, our, our buddy John. I love John, by the way. I love him, too. After this, I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne, around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell face down before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory, wisdom and thanks, and honor, power, and strength to our God forever and ever. Amen. And there's going to be a lot of worshiping in heaven, so you better get used to that idea. (laughs) Cannot wait. Yep, it's going to be great. All right, so Revelation 7, 13, and 14 talks about a group of people that John has never seen before. They are not the same group that was consisting of the dead in Christ who rise and the raptured saints of chapter 4 who were already judged and received their crowns to throw at Jesus' feet. So this is a new unidentifiable group to John. So verse 13 says, Then one of the elders addressed me. These in white robes, he asked, Who are they? And where have they come from? John says in 14, Sir, I answer, you know. So he replied, these are the ones who have come, the elder replied, these are the ones who have come out of the great tribulation and they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of lamb. The elder clarifies to John that these are the ones who came out of the great tribulation. They are not the group who were judged and received crowns in chapter 4 who witnessed Jesus opening the seals in order for the tribulation to even begin in chapter 5. Okay, so you see the difference there? John doesn't even recognize this group, but he's already seen another group, and he recognized them, so they're not the same group. Mm -hmm. So let's look at these two different groups of people. I want to talk about the difference right here between the raptured saints versus the tribulation martyred saints. Okay, In order to understand the rapture saints, we look at the scripture in, we have to go back into Philadelphia, one of the seven churches that Jesus talks about at the beginning of Revelation in uh, chapter 3. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, these are the words of the one who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door, which no one can shut, for you have only a little strength, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Look at those who belong to the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, but are liars instead. I will make them bow down at your feet, and they will know that I love you. This group he loves. Okay, this is the group. And notice the open door that no one can shut. That's the door that the five virgins with full oil lamps walk through. It's the same door. Okay, and this group did not deny his name. And he's going to admit to everybody 
that he loves this group, he says, but wow, look at this powerful part. It says, for you only have a little strength. So does that mean they're a bunch of weaklings? No, it means that they are small in numbers. Okay, so on the other hand, let's take a look at this tribulation saints in chapter 7 of Revelation. So John says, after this I beheld, lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people, tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. Okay, so we're talking about a whole different group of people. One group is weak and small in numbers. And the other group is huge, a multitude, massive group of people. They're two separate groups, right? That's right. Okay, so back to our raptured saints. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 15 and 17, the scripture says, By the word of the Lord, we declare to you that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will be the first to rise. And then after that, we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. So this group remains alive and are caught up to meet the Lord together in the clouds, while the tribulation saints... In Revelation 7:14, it says, Sir, I answer you no. So he replied, These are the ones who have come out of the great tribulation. So the elder says they came out of tribulation, meaning they would have had to have rejected the mark of the beast, dying for their decision. And they are from the tribulation, so they were not part of the group witnessing Jesus opening the seals to start that tribulation. Okay? And let me read this about raptured saints now we're talking about raptured saints in luke 17 26 it says just as it was in the days of noah so also will it be the days of the son of man people were eating and drinking marrying and giving in marriage up to the day noah entered the ark then the flood came and destroyed them all so here we see that at the time of the raptured saints, this group is in a world that is eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, and partying up to the day they are rescued and enter that ark, which is rapture. And then we go ahead and we look at Luke 17:28, And it was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating, drinking, buying, selling, planting, and building. But on the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. Okay, so we see that the time of the raptured saints, this group is in a world that is not just prosperous in eating and drinking and making merry. They're married. They are selling and building, planting and working. But that's not the case for those tribulation saints. In Revelation 7, 14 and 17, it says, These are they which came out of the great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore are they before the throne of God, serve him day and night in his temple, and he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb, which is in the midst of the throne, shall feed them, and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes." Now, this group that comes out of tribulation, which is after the tribulation, after the rapture, is a different group. Because in Revelation 7:16 it says, They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. And we see in Revelation 7:17, The Lamb shall feed them, water them, and shall wipe their eyes of tears. Because this group had to come out during the famine in Revelation 6, 5-7 in which we see a day's wage for a loaf of bread. And that is not the look we see at the time of the raptured church, which is eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, working, building, planting, during a time of prosperity and boisterous living. And so I'll just read about that famine. Uh, the third seal in Revelation 6, 5, and 7, it says, And when the Lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. Then I looked, and I saw a black horse, and its rider held in his hand a pair of scales. And I heard what sounded like a voice from among the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and wine. 
And when the lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, come. Okay, so see here, we've got two separate groups. We've got one that's coming out during a time of eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, building, planting, sleeping, and working. And then the other group is they're, they're going to hunger no more when Jesus saves them because they've come from a, an environment of hunger. That's right. It's two separate looks. Two it separate events. It absolutely is definitive. Amen. Amen. Well, to me, it's pretty clear that these are two separate events from the rapture, yeah. the second coming, the type of people at the time of both of these events. They're two separate events, even. That's right. I mean, one event is uh, Jesus pulls them out during a time when there's really nothing horrendous going on. It's relatively, we've got marrying going on and eating and drinking. The other group, uh, they have been taken out at a time, you know, when Jesus will wipe the tears from their eyes. I mean, it's going to be bad. So a time of great suffering. The tribulation is a time of great suffering, especially for the Christians. Those that um, follow Jesus that will not go the way of the world or the way of the Antichrist, those that refuse him. There's going to be people, I had a comment on one of my videos, and and it's true, there will be people that will survive the tribulation, some Christians, but you're not going to have a normal life. You're going to be one of those that are going to be hiding from the authorities because they're going to be looking for you to take that mark. So it'll be a time of suffering. It'll be a time of sacrifice. You're going to have to live in the wilderness, you know, away from uh, society. So there will be some people that will survive, but there will be a lot of people that will die because they won't take the mark of the beast. And that's what we see in these verses in heaven. Exactly. And the point between the two groups is it's going to take a day's wage to buy a loaf of bread during the tribulation and but over here during the point of rapture they're building and planting and working normal life yeah two people uh, grinding at the mill and what is you know they're making wheat when they grind at the mill so the inference is that there's plenty there's plenty Mm -hmm. and people are actively working And if you're talking about the other situation where, you know, people are going to be suffering uh, financially and not able to purchase such things as as simple as even a loaf of bread, it's going to be so bad. So these are definitely two different groups, two different time frames. And it's all here in the Bible if uh, people would just go in there and take a look at it. Yeah, you know, the Bible says, study to show thyself approved. Study the word of God. You know, ask the Holy Spirit for discernment, and he will reveal to you what you're searching for. He will show you the truth. The key to it all is to get the Holy Spirit glasses and put them on, okay? That's right. (laughs) And how do you do that? How do you get those scales ripped off your eyes? And how do you uh, get that eye salve of God so that you can really make sense of a book that? It's not even going to make sense unless you do one thing, and that is surrender fully to the Lord. That is the key. Amen. The key is turning your life over to the Lord, uh, acknowledging Jesus Christ as your Savior, Lord and Master, uh, repenting of your sin outside of that relationship, asking to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and asking to release your own will and take on the will of the Father. And that's what Jesus has made a way so that we can dump our old uh, will and return to the will of the Father. And so all of this is available to everybody. And then understanding will come. Believe me, God wants us to understand this book. He does. He really does. Otherwise, he wouldn't bless us for reading it. It is an incredible book. The entire Bible is incredible and there are so many prophecies from the old testament to the new testament and encouragement and comfort and um, god speaks through his word so he definitely wants you to understand it but you have to make that first step and receive him as your savior 
He'll welcome you with open arms. He'll teach you the way to go. You could say the prayer in your own words. God wants you with him in heaven forever. And he wants to take you home with him during the rapture. Amen. And Dina and I, and I think I can speak for her, we both do end time news reports daily. That's right. And uh, we can tell you from our uh, perspective, um, it is time to get ready. Yeah, he's at the door. I, I There's just so much that has happened and so many um, very key prophecies that have taken place in the last 70, 80 years. Um, it's imminent. He can come at any time. So I, exactly. really, I really do encourage you all to, um, to get right with him today. Let today be the day of your salvation. Completely surrender to him. And let me tell you something. There's a lot of us out there carrying a lot of loads and a lot of burdens, and you don't have to. Jesus wants to take that from you. He wants to give you rest, and he wants to give you peace, peace that surpasses all understanding. So um, take that step today. Make him your savior and get excited because he is coming very soon, sooner than you think. Susan, I want to thank you for coming on the show. Is there anything else that you would like to add? Well, I'm going to add this because if I don't, I'll get comments. So I'm just going to try to <laughs> There isn't anything that has to happen yet before the rapture. All the signs are pointing to the second coming, which could come to pass during uh, the time we have left before the rapture and leading up to the seven-year tribulation. That's right. And so I just want to make that clear. Uh, the rapture is imminent. The Bible talks about it being imminent. And that means we need to be watching all the time. So if somebody says, oh, this, this, and this hasn't happened yet, those are signs leading to the second coming of Christ when he steps foot on the Mount of Olives. The rapture is actually one of the signs of the second coming. Amen. So, we absolutely have to be looking for the Lord now. Watch, watch, watch. Amen. Amen. He's commanded us to watch. But thank you, Susan. Um, I wanted to add also that if you guys can share these videos, that would be such a huge help for, for us here. Um, share them to your, you know, your social media sites and emails. Send them to your family and friends. And uh, do the work of an evangelist and let people know that the hour the hour is here, you guys. We're, we're there. Jesus is coming. But thank you, everybody, for watching. Thank you, Susan, for coming on the show. And we will talk to you soon.